Are you telling me you plan on doing no fact-checking on political ads? We believe that in a democracy, it is important that people can see for themselves what politicians are saying. I'll take that as a well, no. I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. In Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe for you every day for your listening convenience. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. With uh, pressure building on Facebook in recent days, following presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren running a purposely false ad on the site to highlight the fact that Facebook currently refuses to do any fact-checking of political ads on the huge social media platform. 200 of Facebook's own employees this week wrote a letter to corporate leadership urging them to change that policy, which those employees say allows political campaigns to, quote, weaponize the platform with destructive misinformation that the company otherwise would not allow from non-political sources. Media reform activist Sue Wilson wrote about the same matter late last week at Bradblog.com before the letter from the Facebook employees, though after Warren's uh, pretty clever stunt to highlight the issue. Sue Wilson will join us shortly to discuss what Facebook can and should do to stop harming our democracy and what, if anything, can or should be done by Congress or the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, that would not amount to censorship of political free speech. Uh, In the meantime, since I've heard from many folks out there today, yes, Desi and I are fine here in Los Angeles. Uh, Well, at least I am. Des, are you you doing okay, Desi? (laughs) I am doing all right. Thanks for asking. We are sort of in the heart of uh, Hollywood here as uh, wildfires continue to break out both in the sprawling uh, L.A. County area and across the state amidst unusually hot and dry and wildly windy climate change 
charged weather of late. A new fire broke out today in Simi Valley. And that's about 30 minutes northwest of where we are here in L.A. In uh, good traffic, I should say. Yes, you're right. No, at night, like 2 a.m., you can maybe get there <laughs> at, at that quickly. Uh, in any event, that fire currently threatens the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library. So it's getting quite a bit of news. Uh, there's the Getty Fire, which is a bit closer. That's burned out a number of, uh, of houses and has spread to more than 500 acres. That's uh, near the 405, the world's busiest freeway, and uh, the Getty Fire is named after the Getty Center, which houses treasures, uh, art treasures. Priceless art and artifacts. However, the Getty Center Museum has a state-of-the-art filtration system, so they're actually, and it also has fire-resistant landscaping around it, so they do say that they believe that the safest place for the priceless art is in the museum. Meanwhile, power outages continue for about one and a half million people up in Northern California, where the Kincaid fire continues to burn out of control. Those power outages by PG&E, purposeful power outages in the northern part of the state and and some down here by Southern California Edison, are preemptive to help avoid power lines sparking fires in these dry and windy conditions, though they come on the heels of years of warnings to these utility companies to trim trees around power lines and to bury those power lines so they don't pose such a threat. But uh, their biggest concerns, apparently, uh, were the threats to shareholder profits. So they did not take action in what Governor uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom now describes as dog-eat-dog capitalism and corporate greed meeting climate change head-on. So in we're doing fine here. Um, thank you for asking. Can't even smell any smoke, uh, nor are we getting any of the predicted Santa Ana winds here in this particular location. So for now, we're fine. But it occurred to me today, uh, this weekend, we will be exactly one year from the 2020 presidential election, which will be on November 3rd next year, if you wish to mark that down. And now that Los Angeles, the nation's largest voting jurisdiction and other uh, counties around this state are preparing to use 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems and electronic poll books. All things that need electricity. Yep. For the first time in the critical 2020 election. Uh, So what are the processes currently in place, if any, should there be a one of these preemptive power outages on Election Day or during early voting, uh, akin to the preemptive power outages that are ongoing this year at exactly the same time of year. Will there be paper poll book, uh, poll book backups at every voting center here in Los Angeles? Will there be enough hand-markable paper ballots on hand at each voting center to accommodate extended power outages should they occur again next year due to uh, preemptive fire concerns, or for that matter, for any other reason, I've asked about. Um, I've asked uh, L.A. County Clerk and Register Recorder Dean Logan about whether there will be backup paper ballots, uh, backup paper poll books, and ballots at the new voting centers that Los Angeles is now planning to use instead of polling places. 
Uh, about 1,000 voting centers where voters can vote at any of them versus about 4,000 or so community polling places, precincts that we used to have, that we've had for decades until this coming year. But those electronic poll books can only work if there's if the Internet is working and, of course, if power is working at these sites. So what if Southern California Edison or L.A. DWP decides they need to turn off the power to avoid a, a wildfire on Election Day next year at this exact same time of year? Do they have plans for that? I've uh, sent another query on this to Dean Logan today and to the registrar's office. We'll see if I get any response. If so, I will share it with you. But uh, as I mentioned some weeks ago on this program, Logan, uh, who used to be willing to respond to my questions and even come on this show, uh, seems to no longer want to do either of those things. Uh, since I have been uh, one of the lonely voices pointing out that we are about to move here in L.A. to a 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting system in the nation's largest, most populous uh, jurisdiction, uh, which the county, by the way, is spending some three hundred million dollars on. That instead of moving to uh, new uh, verifiable hand marked paper ballots. Uh, but we will see if I hear back from them. I will let you know. So yesterday we spoke with former federal prosecutor, now law professor at George Washington University Law School, Randall Eliason, about one of the many responses that Republicans are trying out in order to try to defend the president against the very clear evidence that he ran a quid pro quo pressure campaign against the president of Ukraine by withholding hundreds of millions of congressionally allocated military aid in exchange for political help against Trump's perceived 2020 rival Joe Biden from the Ukrainian president. Eliasin, a, as I said, a former federal prosecutor, he t he told me, uh, like a federal judge did last week, b well, both of them pretty much decimated the Republican claim that Donald Trump is not receiving due process in this ongoing impeachment inquiry in the U.S. House, pointing out that when you are arguing against process, you are probably losing the argument. That's what Eliason had to say on the broadcast yesterday. You can download it for free at bradblog.com. But that was just one of many tactics that the president and his Republican apparatchik uh, seem to be trying out, trying to use. Oh, there's no due process. It's unfair. That's just one of them, along with uh, others over the past 24 or 48 hours. Uh, including attacking the patriotism of a decades-long public servant and army officer who was awarded a Purple Heart after being injured by a roadside bomb during his Iraq deployment. That would be Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, the White House's own top Ukraine expert on the National Security Council, who testified on Tuesday that he was so alarmed by Trump's pressure campaign that he alerted White House attorneys with his concern that Trump's scheme was a threat to national security. For that, the right wing from uh, Trump to his uh, friends on Fox News to his attack dogs in Congress have questioned the lieutenant colonel's loyalty to the U.S., incredibly enough. But there is also another scheme that they are trying in their desperate efforts to find anything, something that might work to defend this president and his indefensible 
potentially criminal and definitely impeachable behavior, that would be denial. Denial, denial, denial. White House senior advisor Jared Kushner dismissed the impeachment inquiry entirely as little more than, quote, silly games. Ahead of an expected full House vote on the process for impeachment this week, Citing an interview with an Israeli news outlet, CNN reported on Tuesday that Kushner has continued to insist that Trump, quote, hasn't done anything wrong. And that, quote, the American people are sick and tired of how the Democrats have investigated the president, quote, over and over and over again. Kushner said, according to CNN, quote, the best thing going for the president is that he hasn't done anything wrong. <laughs> really? Really, Jared? Are, are you sure about that? Well, Jared would like people to think that yes. Trump hasn't done anything wrong because, you know, maybe Jared might have done some things wrong. Oh, uh, well, then in that case, you might as well point to all the things that Donald Trump did do wrong in hopes that nobody would notice everything that Jared's done wrong. In any case, obviously, they're just making stuff up as they go. The, of course, well-documented facts seem to suggest that the president has done plenty wrong. Kushner uh, said during the interview that if Congress wants to, quote, play silly games, we'll obviously deal with that in an appropriate manner. And, quote, we're not going to let that distract us as an administration. Uh, so silly games uh, not distract you, Jared, from what? From committing more crimes and more impeachable offenses? And as Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, the White House's own top national security expert on Ukraine, charged threatening the national security of the country? But Kushner is is hardly the only Republican who seems to be in denial here or at least pretending to be in denial or at least metaphorically uh, sticking his fingers into his ears and going, la, 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 this isn't happening. A clash between Mark Amaday, Republican from uh, Congressman from uh, Nevada, and CNN correspondent Manu Raju broke out Monday night in the hours leading up to the testimony of Lieutenant Colonel Vindman after his opening statement had already leaked, revealing that Trump's July phone call between uh, President Trump and, and Ukraine President Zelensky prompted Vindman to alert the uh, top White House lawyers twice. Raju aired the results of his attempted interview with Congressman Amaday on Tuesday as he simply attempted to ask the congressman whether it was appropriate for Trump to ask Ukraine to investigate his political rivals and to commit a quid pro quo as a result, as revealed by the partial transcript of the call that the White House themselves released. Here's how things went. The substance of the things that, that have come out is that the president asked for a public investigation into his rivals and also Ukraine aid was being withheld. And well, Bill Taylor well, testified. No, no, that's not my conclusion. I'm saying that's what's come out and all, everything that's come like in. Sounds like a conclusion out. to me, so we disagree on the The question. president has asked for the Ukrainians to investigate the Bidens. Is that okay? The president has asked for the whistleblower complaint to go through the normal processes, and we've seen nothing of that. So beyond that, when you say that you've made the conclusion or whatever, it's like you're a gift 
gifted guy because guess what? It isn't over, and you already know what you think. The rough transcript, the White House, the White House transcript that was released said had President Trump asking President Zelensky to open an investigation to the Biden. Do you know if they've even got plans to call the whistleblower? Because I heard they didn't. Now, I don't know if but that's you're true. not answering my question about no, the substance I, of the allegation. I disagree with your conclusion. It's a conclusion, not that's a question. Not a, I'm asking you about what's in the White House <laughs> transcript. The teacher says you've got a conclusion. <laughs> so if you want to interview yourself, go right ahead. It, you're interviewing me. Why don't you want to answer the question about is it okay for the president it to ask a, a foreign country to investigate the Biden? Why don't you do an interview instead of interviewing yourself? The president asked on the White House lawn. on the south. my question? On the south lawn of the White House, the president asked China to investigate the Bidens. Is that okay? You know what? If you don't want to interview me, then interview yourself. I'm asking you a question. If you don't want to answer, I don't is understand. There, is there pressure? You don't understand? Yeah. Okay. Thanks for doing the best you could. <laughs> so what a jerk. Well, yeah, kinda. I mean, and I have to give credit to uh, Mani Raju for mm-hmm. continuing to pursue and ask the question. I think all journalists should be doing that of every Republican they see right now. And uh, but he just denies denies the very premise yep. of the entire impeachment inquiry. He's not even going to speak to it. Okay, uh, and then there was the uh, House Republican who has been parroting GOP complaints about the impeachment probe's closed-door processes who admitted on Tuesday that he has not actually participated in any hearings despite the fact that he is allowed to attend them and ask all the questions that he would like because he is a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. That's one of the three House committees, along with intelligence and oversight, that have been holding these joint hearings to take depositions from the various witnesses over the past uh, several weeks. Uh, Credit here to CNN's Poppy Harlow for pressing this guy. This is Republican Congressman Ted Yoho of Florida on, on this fact that he hasn't bothered to attend these meetings And this interview was going on, by the way, while Lieutenant Colonel Vindman was in the room giving his testimony. You're a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, so you could attend all of these depositions. Have you attended a single one? No, I haven't gone to those. We've had discussions in our Foreign Affairs Committee on other aspects of what President Trump is doing, so I've been involved in those, not in these. I see these as kind of a sideshow, because it's it's not an official inquiry in impeachment. It is something that Nancy Pelosi started without a vote. And I know it's not constitutional that they have a vote, but it should follow the precedence that has been set in the last three impeachments. So there is going to be a formal vote on Thursday. But back to your original point, I mean, this is consequential, right? This is about whether the U.S. president is impeached or not. You're invited to be in the room for all of these depositions. Right now, you could be in the room questioning Lieutenant Colonel Vindman. Why are, you not, why are you for not him? there? But why are you not there? Because I have other responsibilities in the House, and what I, I see this as a sideshow. Then why is it legitimate for you to slam an inquiry and slam testimony when you have the opportunity to be in the room for all of it? You are not taking that opportunity. I understand you have other important responsibilities, but respectfully, Congressman, as glad as I am that you're on this show, you don't need to be on this show. You could be in well, there. Like I said, I've you got could be my in there deposing, deposing Lieutenant Colonel Vindman. Who it, is asking I, them? I, I ask who's asking them because your staff told us 30 minutes ago they didn't even know about the testimony. No, they know about the testimony. I mean, we've talked about it all week long. Um, I plan to go in there. I've got my questions written for him. So you're so you are going to this deposition after you're off the air with us. Is that right? As soon as I'm off the air. Yes, ma'am. Okay, And this will be the first one that you attend in the inquiry. 
It'll be the first one, but we've been very engaged in what's going on in this whole vote that Ms. Pelosi's bringing up. And mm-hmm. I'm glad she's bringing it up, but it's not an official impeachment inquiry. Oh, man. Good luck with that. Deny, deny, deny. They are going to have to do better than that. Or maybe they won't. That interview ain't going to be playing on Fox News, I suspect, uh, or over at uh, Facebook, where the Trump campaign uh, is running all sorts of ads. Uh, Since May of this year, they have purchased some 69,000 ads. Yes, you heard that right. That in order to lie to voters on all manner of things, not to play interviews like that. Lies about all sorts of things with false ads meant to scare and confuse and disinform the voters. That story and much more on how Facebook is helping to disinform the American electorate at a critical moment before the most crucial presidential election in our nation's history. That story is right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Stay right there. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Truth. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. The most untrue of them all, of course, is the U.S. President Donald Trump. His re-election campaign, according to Reuters, has run more than 3,000 Facebook ads in English asking for support to curb illegal immigration in the past six months alone, often asking people to sign online petitions to, quote, deport illegals. But Trump's more than 1,200 Facebook ads in Spanish during the same period hardly mention his signature campaign promise to be tough on immigration. Instead, they warn that Democrats want Venezuela-style socialism and advertise, quote, Latinos for Trump uh, and merchandise that you can buy. Latinos for Trump merchandise. That, according to a Reuters review of more than 69,000 of Trump's Facebook ads since May. 69,000 since just May? Yeah, apparently. One of the Spanish language text ads reads, Do you approve of socialism? Yes or no? Others tout a strong U.S. economy and bash prominent Democratic representatives Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Elon Omar. The contrast between the English language ads and the Spanish language ads suggests a high stakes balancing act for Donald Trump ahead of the November 2020 election as he tries to fire up his white Republican base. While also courting Latino voters who could be the largest minority voting bloc next year. Trump, despite his divisive rhetoric calling Mexicans murderers and rapists, won nearly a third of the Latino vote in the 2016 election. Incredibly enough, could that be because of the way that they were specifically targeted and lied to? 
by such ads on outlets like Facebook, which allow the micro-targeting of very specific groups of voters with completely false ads that political opponents have virtually no chance of responding to? Well, Democrats led by U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren are also running ads in Spanish, but unlike Trump, according to Reuters, their messages mirror English-language ads that they're also running on Facebook, often lauding the contributions of immigrants and calling out Trump's immigration policies as divisive or racist. Trump uh, is already running the largest digital advertising operation in the 2020 campaign. He has run more ads in Spanish than all of the 18 Democratic presidential contenders combined, according to the Reuters analysis of Facebook ad data, which was gathered by computer scientists at the Tandon School of Engineering at New York University. Yes, that is the sort of effort that is now required to even keep up with, much less track much less respond to ads, false or otherwise, on the giant social media platform Facebook. And now even Facebook's own employees are calling for the company to change their policy of doing zero fact-checking on political ads. That story is next on the broadcast with media reform activist and journalist Sue Wilson. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. I'm sick and tired of hearing things from uptight, short-sighted, narrow-minded hypocrites. All I want is the truth. Yes. Just give me some truth. Yes, please, some truth. Well, hopefully that's why you come here to the Bradcast. Thank you for doing so. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We talked on a recent Bradcast with former Federal Elections Commission Chair Anne Ravel, about a boatload of problems with our broken campaign finance system and the many campaign finance laws revealed amid the ongoing impeachment inquiry into Trump's dealing with uh, Ukraine, not to mention his blatant campaign finance violations related to the felony conspiracy hush money payoffs to Stormy Daniels just before the 2016 presidential election and his payments thereafter to his attorney, Michael Cohen, who sits in federal prison right now for his part in that conspiracy directed by the president after receiving payments to cover it all up from Donald Trump after Donald Trump was in the White House. Why that is not currently a part of impeachment proceedings against this president, at least to my knowledge, I cannot tell you. But where the broken FEC is helping to ensure the undermining of American elections, they do not even have enough commissioners right now currently to meet, much less take votes on enforcing campaign finance laws as we head into the most 
crucial election year in the history of this nation. But my guest today will likely argue that it is the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, along with mega social media sites like Facebook, who are the ones endangering American democracy right now. Facebook executives are facing mounting pressure, including from inside the company now, to make sweeping changes to how the social media site runs political ads, including uh, a call to reverse a controversial policy that allows politicians to run false ads and how voters are targeted to view them on the platform. It's a further escalation of the debate over Facebook's responsibility for policing ad content. A week after Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg testified on Capitol Hill and had a very difficult time explaining the fi- uh, to uh, Financial Services Committee Chairwoman Maxine Waters why his company does not fact-check any political ads, but does fact check some non-political ads on the platform. Are you telling me you plan on doing no fact checking on political ads? Uh, Chairwoman, our, our policy is that we do not fact check politicians' speech. And the reason for that is that we believe that in a democracy, it is important that people can see for themselves what politicians are saying. Political speech is some of the most scrutinized speech already in the world. Do you um, fact check on any ads at all? Uh, yes. Describe what you fact check on. Well, Chairwoman, actually, uh, th- thank you for the opportunity to clarify. Facebook itself actually does not, check, does not fact check. What we do is we have feedback that, that people in our community don't want to see viral hoaxes or or, or kind of so widespread. So let me be clear. You do no fact-checking on any ads. Is that correct? Chairwoman, what we do is we work with uh, a set of independent fact-checkers who... Somebody fact-checks on ads. You, have, you contract with someone to do that. Is that right? Uh, Chairwoman, yes. And tell me, who is it that they fact-checked on? Uh, Chairwoman... What we do is when content is getting a lot of distribution and is flagged uh, by members of our community or by our technical systems, it can go into a queue to be reviewed by a set of independent fact checkers. (laughs) You'd think you'd be more prepared. Uh, That was Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook CEO, uh, speaking with Maxine Waters in the House Financial Services Committee about how Facebook does or doesn't Uh, police political ads. According to CNN's Donny O'Sullivan today, on Monday night, the top Democrat on the Senate Intelligence Committee, Senator Mark Warner, wrote to Zuckerberg and warned that Facebook's policies risked undermining American norms of transparency, public deliberation and debate, openness, diversity of opinion and accountability. The Warner letter came just hours after The New York Times reported that more than 200 Facebook employees had signed a letter raising concerns about the company's political ad policy. We're reaching out to you, the leaders of this company, because we're worried we're on track to undo the great strides our product teams have made in integrity over the last two years, the employees write. We know that even our smallest choices impact communities at an astounding scale. We want to raise our concerns before it is too late. 
Free speech and paid speech are not the same thing, they write. Misinformation affects us all. Our current policies on fact-checking people in political office or those running for office are a threat to what Facebook stands for. We strongly object to this policy as it stands. It doesn't protect voices, but instead allows politicians to weaponize our platform by targeting people who believe that content posted by political figures is trustworthy. Our goal, they write, is to bring awareness to our leadership at the company that a large part of the employee body does not agree with this policy. We want to work with our leadership to develop better solutions that protect our business and the people who use our products. The Facebook's, uh, Facebook employees seek to, among other things, hold political ads to the same standards as other ads, noting that misinformation shared by political advertisers has an outsized detrimental impact on our community. They argue we should not accept money for political ads without applying the standards that our other ads must follow. If Facebook does not change the policy for political ads, they warn we need to update the way they are displayed. For consumers and advertisers, it's not immediately clear that political ads are exempt from fact-checking that other ads must go through. The concerns laid out by the employees and uh, Senator Warner go beyond the company's fact-checking policy and raise wider concerns about the power of Facebook's ad targeting. Facebook employees said that political campaigns' use of the company's advanced targeting tools and behavioral tracking tools was not conductive to proper political discourse. The risk with allowing this, they say, is that it's hard for people in the electorate to participate in the public scrutiny that we are saying comes along with political speech. These ads are so often micro-targeted that the conversations on our platforms are much more siloed than on other platforms, they write. Warner, Senator Warner, raised similar concerns, saying that political ads on TV and print are accessible to fact-checkers and political opponents. As a result, strong disincentives exist for a candidate to disseminate materially false, inflammatory, or contradictory messages to the public. By contrast, he writes, social media platforms tout their ability to target portions of the electorate with direct ephemeral advertisements, often on the basis of private information the platform has on individual users, facilitating political ads that are contradictory, racially or socially inflammatory, or materially false, without the same constraints as more traditional communications mediums and without affording opposing candidates an equal opportunity to respond directly in front of that same targeted audience. In an interview in August, Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon called on Facebook and Google to ban political ad targeting. Facebook has argued that by not fact-checking political ads, it is merely mirroring the standards used for broadcast television, which has to run ads from candidates regardless of their accuracy. Noting that uh, CNN, a cable network, which is not bound, by the way, by the, uh, by the same FCC requirements to run any and all ads from political candidates that local over-the-air broadcasters currently face, CNN had refused to run a false ad from the Trump campaign 
Uh, Former Vice President Joe Biden's presidential campaign pointed this out, criticizing Facebook for allowing that very same false ad to run on their site, reaching untold thousands or millions of voters. Facebook pointed out, however, that broadcasters, if not cable outlets like CNN, did run Trump's false ad. To uh, further highlight the concerns here, 2020 presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren purposely ran a false ad on Facebook a week or two ago, claiming falsely that Facebook's CEO Mark Zuckerberg had endorsed Donald Trump's reelection campaign before pointing out that, in fact, that was not true, but that Facebook allowed her to run that ad with a blatant falsehood under their current policy. Writing at bradblog.com late last week, longtime media reform activist Sue Wilson of the Media Action Center decried the Facebook political ad policy as well, charging that it undermines American democracy itself. Citing Facebook's response, ironically in a tweet, to the criticism over its running a false Trump ad that CNN had rejected, Wilson uh, was unpersuaded by the Facebook policy, In their response, they had tweeted, quote, broadcast stations across the country have aired the Trump ad nearly 1000 times as required by law. FCC doesn't want broadcast companies censoring candidate speech. We agree it's better to let voters, not companies, decide, they said. But as Wilson notes, Facebook is not a broadcaster and needn't follow the nearly century old Communications Act developed in the 20s and 30s, as intended to serve the public interest at the time. Facebook instead is choosing to do so, choosing to follow those requirements, as uh, Sue Wilson uh, intimates, in order to receive its perceived share of the nearly $10 billion political ad industry. That's for one presidential election cycle alone, by the way. And it uh, currently that money currently serves to keep many media companies afloat these days, though, in truth, for Facebook, it's a relatively small portion of their overall huge ad market. Joining us now to help us untangle this, frankly, web of deception and free speech and censorship and campaign politics is Sue Wilson. Perhaps running on generator power right about now, I don't know, amid shutdowns by California's largest private power company, PG&E, up in uh, in the northern part of the state amidst these record wildfires and Diablo winds. Sue is an Emmy and AP award-winning broadcast journalist turned media reform activist, director of the media reform documentary Broadcast Blues, and founder of the Media Action Center, And, of course, one of our go-to sources on all things FCC-related. Sue Wilson, welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman, you know, I think the whole country is grateful that you are covering this. It's kind of ironic that it's taking Facebook for us to start looking at what really these political ads that are allowed to lie to us. Uh, they are. And I've got uh, actually some breaking news on this that literally came in while I was doing the introduction, Sue. But first, I just want to make sure are, I know you're uh, joining us under less than ideal conditions up there in Northern California. Are you uh, a clear of the fire and B, has your power been turned back on? Because I know you've been facing uh, uh, some of these preemptive power outages up there in recent days. Are you OK? Thank you for asking. Yes, uh, we are between Sacramento and Lake Tahoe, and uh, there are no fires close to us. 
And surprise, surprise, as soon as I got my new generator, guess what? The power came back on last night. So we're good to go. (laughs) Okay, good to know. Well, well, let me just give you this breaking news right off the bat before we get into some of the specifics I wanted to ask you about. Literally came in as I was... uh, uh, doing the intro uh, from AP, breaking news, Twitter bans all political ads by candidates and outside groups aiming to avoid the chaos caused by Facebook's ad policies. Haven't gotten, literally have not gotten a click on the article, so that's just coming in, but uh, your response to, well, at least that headline, Sue. I think this is wonderful news. I think that not only should Facebook ban all political ads, but we should rewrite the laws so that broadcasters ban all political ads. This is a giant industry Mm -hmm. which promotes misinformation, and this is one very good way to to start telling the truth to Americans. There has been, uh, in the wake of uh, uh, Senator Warren's ad campaign against Facebook and the letter from their employees and the congressional testimony from Zuckerberg uh, and and then your article at Bradblog, uh, some confusion, at least by me, as to what the laws actually are and aren't concerning political ads. I want you to, Sue, if you don't mind, I hope you can clear all of this up for me and for listeners. Uh, Zuckerberg and, and, and Facebook say they are following requirements for broadcasters that do not allow the censorship of ads by political campaigns. And yet CNN rejected, you know, one of those same ads, as I mentioned. Uh, I believe the networks have done so and local broadcast outlets have done so in the past, at least for third party political ads. So can you clear up the confusion so I can figure out which policy Facebook is actually claiming to be following here? Well, the challenge here is that there are many different rules depending on whether you're a television or radio network, Mm -hmm. like NBC or CNN, or whether you are a local broadcaster, like where you would see most of your political ads, say, around your local news at night when you turn on the TV. Mm -hmm. The rules are very different for the two. To start, though, with a very simple concept, we have truth in advertising laws in this country. If I'm going to run an ad that says that my toothpaste is going to make your teeth sparkly white, and instead it turns your teeth yellow, there's a a law against running Mm -hmm. an ad that lies, okay? But those ads, I mean, think about that. That was developed so that consumers are not deceived by fake advertising. What a great idea that is. (laughs) There is no truth in advertising laws with political ads. Now, there and are yet some CNN was able to not uh, run those ads. Networks have been able to not run those ads. You're saying that, just so I understand it, uh, CNN uh, is not broadcast over air. The networks themselves, though they're broadcast over air, they're essentially broadcast over the local station. So the, the networks get to decide if they don't want to run something, but a local broadcaster cannot do so. They must run an ad, even if it's untrue, if it comes from a political campaign? Almost right. Okay. Um, First of all, you've got the network. Uh And if you think about what candidates would want to uh, nationally put an ad on television, right? Really, we're really looking at one office. We're looking at the presidential office. Mm -hmm. Because if you're running for senator of California, you don't have a need to run an ad in New York. Right? Right. So uh, we're really looking Mm -hmm. at presidential ads. Right. 
are national. The networks, therefore, who would put an ad that would be seen in every household all over the country, Mm -hmm. they do have a choice as to whether or not to air that ad. But the local broadcasters don't. Not when it comes to the federal candidates. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, really? if you are running for Congress or you are running for the Senate and you want to place an ad on your local television station, Mm -hmm. the TV station is required that they have to take that ad. And that's even if I claim that my opponent is a uh, child-molesting murderer. They must run that? Yes, they must. Wow. And uh, now uh, third party ads, however, are different. For example, some of the national ads that may run, you know, might come from the Republican Party. Republicans are fantastic. Democrats are terrible uh, child molesting murderers. That can be turned down by both uh, networks and local media, right? Because it's a third party, not actually a candidate campaign. That's right. Now, in both of these situations, uh, there is a remedy, okay? Mm-hmm. If we're looking at the third-party ad, mm-hmm. the third-party ad, let's say that, uh, let's look at something that happened during the last presidential election, uh, an ad was run against Ted Cruz. Mm-hmm. That ad claimed that he was going to, that he was pro-immigration. Right. Now, for this very conservative Republican, that is not a fact. And he wrote a very stern letter to the broadcaster itself, Mm -hmm. saying that you do not get to read this. And in fact, I have this letter in in front of me. Mm -hmm. Because this advertisement makes a flatly false factual claim for which your station is ultimately liable, we strongly urge you to exercise your discretion as a licensee to refuse to continue to broadcast this advertisement. Now think about that. He's just saying that that the station is ultimately liable. And Mm -hmm. there's the difference. Stations are liable if they run a third-party ad that lies to the public. Now, let me stop there. Yeah. That's the station that's liable for third-party ads. If a candidate runs an ad and says, this guy, my opposing candidate is a child molester, Mm -hmm. the opposing candidate can sue the original candidate for liable. So they can sue them for libel, for defamation, whatever they want, uh, directly, but the broadcasters still have to run it. Now, you argue in your piece at uh, bradblog.com that Facebook should, in fact, censor political ads or at least fact-check them before agreeing to, uh, to, to run them, that they should not follow the broadcast example that uh, Zuckerberg seems to s- say he is following? I, I, you know, I think what's happened since that piece was written mm-hmm. was that this letter has come out now from Facebook. What I was suggesting in the piece, and it's still a very good idea, mm-hmm. would be to have both broadcasters and Facebook start to do fact-checking, you know, hire mm-hmm. media, uh, former media journalists who are out of work mm-hmm. and require the candidates and the, the sponsors of the ads, require them to provide sourcing. You know, the public may not know this, but if I write a story that's going to be published on the Brad blog, mm-hmm. Brad Friedman will go through this story and go, now, where did you get this? Exactly where is this coming right, from? Right. You want to know that everything that I'm saying is absolutely factual. That is the way most newspapers operate, and that is the way that most legitimate news organizations operate. All right? Mm-hmm. What we're looking at here is, is, you know, really quite the opposite. But why not say to 
an ad person, uh, really it's ad agencies, isn't it? Mm-hmm. We need you to provide us with your sourcing on this ad so that we can fact check it. I'll tell you, because I, I do have some concerns, uh, Sue Wilson, uh, about the idea that uh, a, a company like Facebook gets to be the arbiter of what is true and what is false. And that's why I wanted to ask you, you know, who gets to do this, uh, this fact checking? Can't this lead to political uh, censorship, which I'm guessing was the basis for the original broadcast requirement and, you know, back in the in the Communications Act of the 20s and 30s to avoid, you know, allowing broadcasters to uh, turn away ads that may be true, but they just didn't like them politically. So, so can't they just claim that this is a false ad even when it is not? Who's the arbiter for that? Well, I think if, if you have the original ad, which comes with a list of sourcing, mm-hmm. that should be able to be fact-checked by displaced journalists, <laughs> right. Job, right? Right. That, that it could be a very simple matter that, that the candidate says, here's the facts, here's my sources, here's the proof. Mm-hmm. And at that point, if they can go through it and go, actually, no, there is no proof here, then it would seem to be completely legitimate to me to say, no, we're not going to run that. Now, can I get into, though, I think there's some ideas here in the Facebook uh, letter that are really, really good. Okay. Uh, And, and of course, what I'm loving about this is that the Facebook employees see this exactly as I do. Mm -hmm. These misinformation ads are a detriment to our entire democracy. And I like that, you know, what they're really talking about, first of all, is holding political ads to the same standard as other ads. Other Why ads that, that they already run on their site. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, can run a, you cannot run a fake toothpaste ad, but you can run a fake political ad. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I like the idea of, and, and this is Facebook-centric, okay, especially now that Twitter says they're just not going to take any. I love that. Okay. But, uh, you know, if you look at broadcasting, Broadcasting is just that. It's broad. It, if you put it on a local TV station, anybody who tunes into that TV station can see that ad. Facebook is targeted. If you are a candidate, you can go to Facebook and say, I would like to find this kind of voter in this specific area that mm-hmm. I can target. And they're able to target in that way. One of the things that the Facebook letter is saying is restricting that targeting. Don't allow the political campaigns to use those advanced targeting mm-hmm. tools. Don't allow them to upload voter rolls to figure out exactly which the voters that they want to lie to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it says here, and, and I'm loving this too, he said that risk of, of allowing them to really micro-target voters with mm-hmm. big ads is that it's hard for people in the electorate to participate in the public scrutiny. Yeah, we, we, we can't even know they went out. If they only go to, you know, a couple of hundred people, a couple of thousand people, it's it's very unlikely that the opposing candidate may even know that that ad exists. They do point out that they currently restrict targeting for housing and education and credit uh, verticals due to a history of discrimination and say we should extend that same similar restrictions to political advertising. Just don't let them micro-target in that way. That sounds like a, at least a workable solution uh, to, to, to some extent, because at least then candidates might have a shot at responding to those ads, correct? I think that it's a step in the right direction. Personally, I am offended by the idea that lying ads are the same as free speech. 
that is not free speech. It is paid speech, paid to misinform people's speech. Mm. Uh, you know, years ago I had a talk with the California Association of Broadcasters mm-hmm. about the idea of not having any political ads on the airwaves at all. And surprisingly, the California Association of Broadcasters was open to that if they instead would get the time to be able to question the candidates on their own. Well, that, you know, it is uh, these political ads that are now keeping a lot of these media outlets afloat, Sue Wilson. I mean, can they afford to lose that uh, their piece of that $10 billion market that uh, you mentioned in your piece at bradblog.com? You know, maybe if they didn't have all of those paid political ads coming in, they might have to expand their programming in order to allow, say, moderates and liberals on talk radio. <laughs> maybe they would have to find programming that would, would appeal to a much broader swath of the, the populace. Well, we... I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for those who are handing their hand, putting their hands out uh-huh. to take wads of money for lies. The the, uh, the the wads of money coming into Twitter for lies or not will no longer be coming in, according to AP in this breaking uh, news item. But, uh, Sue Wilson, what about, um, you know, if I decide to run for office and I don't have a lot of money, uh, one of the best ways that I could run potentially would be to reach my uh, followers and, and reach my potential voters on Twitter which is very cheap, uh, inexpensive way to reach them, and now I'm going to be barred from that. Uh, surely you don't want to handcuff me for my big run for office, Sue Wilson, do you? Well, first of all, I would love to see you run for office, Brad Friedman, okay? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm running but, but, from office, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> you, me too. Yeah. Uh, but, but at the heart of it, is, is the idea of if, if, if it's going to turn into a free-for-all, a melee uh, of, of fighting over truth versus fiction, mm-hmm. it's probably better to have none of that at all. Now, I haven't seen this. I don't know exactly what their thought is, but mm-hmm. I would think that Brad Friedman would be able to put out his own tweets, just as they allow the president of this country to put out his own tweet, tweets without any restrictions. Now, that would be free speech, but that would not be advertised. Mm. Are, and there is a difference, I think, when you get on the radio, you get on television, you stand up in front of a crowd, and you give a speech, and hiring a Madison ad agency to manipulate emotions in order to get people to vote for you. There's a difference. Are, are you, uh, last uh, thought here, because you obviously are calling on Facebook uh, to implement uh, fact-checking before they run ads, and you can read Sue's uh, article and an argument on that over at bradblog.com. The uh, headline is, Fake Book, Zuckerberg's Hands-Off Political Ad Policy Undermines American Democracy Itself. But are you also calling for changes to federal law on this matter? As we covered at the top of our conversation, they seem incredibly convoluted and, uh, frankly, about 100 years out of date at this point. Yeah, I think that it's time for the country to really have this discussion. And there's so much confusion. Even um, uh, AOC was interviewing uh, mm-hmm. Zuckerberg in, in front of Congress and believed that there were these fact-checking rules that applied, when indeed they do not. Uh, I think it's time for Congress to really take a look at these political ad laws and start doing what they were meant to do. You said earlier in the show, you said that the, 
FCC mm-hmm. was the one that I would probably target. Actually, the Federal Communications Commission only can interpret the laws mm-hmm. they are given by Congress. And right now, it is against the law to prohibit a federal candidate from going on and having a Madison Avenue ad that thoroughly lies to the public. <laughs> that, 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 I think that needs to be changed. And if it's not, if not, if not now, when? And it's uh, one of those uh, few times when it's not the FCC dropping the ball. In this case, you're saying the FCC actually uh, has no balls. So we'll just leave it there. Sue Wilson, uh, Emmy and AP award-winning broadcast journalist turned media reform activist. You can find her work at MediaActionCenter.net. You can find her on the Twitters at Sue Blues Wilson where she is not running for office, I am told. And, of course, you can find her uh, article on all of this over at bradblog.com. Sue Wilson, as ever, thank you for joining us to uh, uh, catch us up on all of this. Uh, And as it looks like it's quickly changing, maybe we'll be talking more about it in the days ahead. Thank you, Sue. Thanks, Brad. Okay, we got to get out, but uh, just a quick quote from this article about uh, Twitter not running, uh, deciding to not run any political ads at all on their site. The uh, founder of the site, uh, CEO Jack Dorsey, said the company is recognizing that advertising on social media offers an unfair level of targeting compared to other mediums. It is not about free expression, he asserted. He says, quote, this is about paying for reach and paying to increase the reach of political speech has significant ramifications that today's democratic infrastructure may not be prepared to handle. He said in a tweet, it's worth stepping back in order to address. Good for him. Yeah, he's got a good point there. I agree. Uh, All right, we got to get out. My thanks, of course, to Sue Wilson, to my producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on both the Facebooks and the Twitters, where we don't run political ads, you can find me at the Brad Blog. Finally, my thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves and fight for your democracy. bradblog.com slash donate. Appreciate any help you can afford. All right, that's it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. 